Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Well, I mean, as soon as about 29 other people die, then yes. I think okay, I'm- so you're in the top 30 at least. <laughs> I just... <laughs> yeah, you, you know what? You know what I love about comedy? This is Josh Wolf, by the way, everyone. Hi. You know what I love about comedy? I would love to know what you love about comedy. Completely subjective. What does that mean? That means that, like, there's something out there for everybody. Right. If you if you want, I love it when people are like, I don't like comedy. I'm like, you don't. Have you ever heard someone say that? People, I've asked people, do you go to stand up shows? And they're like, Nah, I don't really like comedy. You don't like to laugh. You don't like having fun. Like, I don't understand what that means. But what I love is that no matter what you like, you could be the teetotonist, church goingist, and you're gonna find a comic out there that works for you. But you could be the raunchiest, sit in the gutter. You know what I mean? And you can find that too. That's You're right. Problem. You have to find the comic that works for you because like yeah. some, I'm not really like a super raunchy person who likes to like talk about a lot of like, I don't know, like some comics are like, it's just like, I don't find it funny. You, I find really funny. Like, I feel like you definitely push the envelope, but it's like all within like a boundary that I can still really laugh at and not feel like weird about laughing at. You know what? I toured with Larry the Cable Guy for a while. And um, he said to me, uh, he was like, you know, the trick for me is I'm not dirty, but I'm naughty. Yeah, okay. I'm naughty. And and I would say I'm one step above him. He doesn't swear and all that stuff. But I'm not like, I'm not dirty, but I, I feel like I'm relatably naughty. I get that. I totally get that. You say what everyone's really 
feeling, but you don't say it in a way that makes people feel like, oh God, I can't actually listen to this. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, and I, I, you know, one of the reasons Los Angeles was a tough place for me to perform and it was, by the way, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not a dude. I, I live in Nashville now, but I'm not a dude who is leaving Los Angeles. Like, see ya, you know, I'm not bad mouthing it, but for me personally, as a performer, it was my place that I hated performing the most. If you say Why? what city, what city do you hate performing in the most? I would tell you Los Angeles. Okay. Details. And again, this could be me and the comedy store is my, that's like legendary. Me. Everyone goes through the comedy store. So did you go through the comedy store? Oh yeah. That's my home club. Okay. My home club. But also the club that makes me the most nervous. Okay. Tell me why. I've just never been one of the cool kids. I don't consider myself to be one of the cool kids. I figure the comedy store is where the cool kids are. I have a very middle America relatable aesthetic, you know, and um, I don't feel like that is what plays the best. So there. what do you have to be to be a cool kid at the comedy club? What's the vibe? Well, I feel like this is my own personal stuff. Okay. Right? So this I, is your own personal stuff, but in your opinion, what's the vibe to be a cool kid at the comedy club? Oh, I don't know. That's a great question. I would say, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like I said, this is my own, I think it's my own personal, like, but like my, my jokes are, okay. My jokes are right here. Like, right. What is that? Like, right. In, your face. in front of your face. They're pretty simple. They're pretty linear. They're stories. Um, there's nothing clever. I'm not making a statement. You know what I mean? None of that stuff which I think plays better, especially at the comedy store. You know what I mean? And um, especially for a long time, I was just a dude talking about his kids. And that's not super relatable for that part of the country. People are a little older when they have kids. You know, when I sit at Zany's and I talk about, you know, at my age having a 20-something-year-old, people are like, yeah. yeah. In LA, you're like, I just took my kid to preschool. You know, I'm not, I'm not relating with this. You, so you know? were kind of just on a different plane. Yeah. You're in a different yeah. arena in your life than maybe everyone else. I feel like, and by, by the way, I will say also, but that nervousness that I had performing there, which was just me, it's not what other comics were putting on me, made me better. Yeah. It made me better. Well, if, and, you can, uh, if you can do well at the comedy club in LA, then that means you are like, you're great because that's like the, that's like the Ryman of Nashville, like the Opry of Nashville, you know, country music. It really is. You know, that place, when I first started, um, a woman named Mitzi Shore owned it and um, she was the, the original owner and she, when she passed me. So what would happen is, is that you would have to go up for three minutes in front of Mitzi. Um, nerve-wracking and if you don't crush in those three minutes you don't get a chance you have to come back and sign up again <sighs> so she just sits there like with her arms crossed and she's like make me laugh <sighs> like walk me through this audition this is nerve-wracking I watched that show on Netflix what is it called like was it called like the comedy club or something yeah the comedy like it was something the store or something the store and it yeah. felt intense like the comedy world is hard it's hard to break into it's hard to like stay into it's like this whole inner web working and it's like whoa and you have to like get your jokes all right and like you have to make i don't think it's much different than music though i mean it's super cutthroat and there's a lot of people going after very i would say the difference is this 
Well, I don't know the music industry well enough to say this, but nowadays as a comic, yeah, so the comedy store doesn't pass me. Who, who gives a shit? I have 12 million people on Instagram and, you know, 8 million on TikTok and that's where I do my stand-up and I don't need to do my, you know what I mean? So it's a little different, um, but to be a true stand-up comic, you can't do it on TikTok and you can't do it on Instagram. You have to get on stage. You have to get on stage. And the comedy store is, for me, where the best came. And you would go and Mitzi would sit in the back row up against the wall. And if the person before you did really well, you were fucked. Because she was, <laughs> she was going to call them over to talk to her. And she wasn't going to hear a, a second of your set. She was done. Like when she found someone she liked, she was kind of like done for the day? No, that wasn't it. She was just going to talk to them. And you were performing, so she might miss your set, and you just have to come back another time, and then somebody else would come up. Oh, okay, so it's like they're keeping it going no matter what I, he's doing. I think there was like three or – I forget. It was so long ago, but it seemed like three, two, three, four showcases, something like that. And she called me over. Somebody was like after – I think this was my third time going up in front of her. And she called me over, and um, she sat me down. And when you get called over, you were like – I'm in. And um, I sat down and she said, you were very funny. And I said, thank you. And she said, and handsome. I said, oh, thank you. And she said, you remind me of a young Steve Gutenberg. And I was like, uh, is, that, is that good? I don't, I don't know. You mean the guy from Police Academy? I don't. Hey, it worked. It worked. For yeah, yeah, we're in. But then she said, I want you to work the door. Is, and so, that, is that like a good thing? Well, as a young guy, I took it as an insult. What I know now is that she wanted you to learn from the best. So sit right there and watch the best people in the world every night work their craft and watch how they change jokes from Friday to Saturday, depending on what worked. Watch them work out and be working comics. It was like apprenticeship. Yeah, I got to sit and watch – this was fascinating for me. But you took the job at the door. Even though it offended you, you took it. Well, I didn't, it didn't offend me after I, it was explained to me, you know? Okay. But, but at the time, I was a single dad raising three kids. I mean, that's uh, also a huge accomplishment, Josh. Well, I mean. I mean, that's hard work. Yeah, they're alive. They're alive. Bethany, <laughs> who's the best mama. I mean, you really, like, you really crush. You really crush that. I, I, Bethany, I feel like I kind of lucked into, I think I might've found her in a moment of weakness, her weakness, not mine. <laughs> and you, you see know what I mean? Yeah. I think she was in a moment of weakness. She wasn't sure what was happening. Might've had something to do with the roofies. And you just slid in there and you said, listen, we're going to, this is going to happen. <laughs> this is happening. I, I said, I mean, listen, let me ask you, how hard is it to pitch I'm a single dad with three kids and I'm a stand-up comic. Waka waka. You know what I mean? Come on. Isn't that enticing? And Bethany is this beautiful film director. She's like one of three women in the in the whole world who produce major motion pictures. She's incredible in every way. Yeah, y'all are a perfect match though. Well, I have to tell you, like she and thank you that I that for you to imply that I somehow match with her, but she she's like she ha hasn't started really aging yet, which is no, mm -mm. no. Found of youth. Can I tell you something? I'm going to tell you something that she's going to kill me for telling you. Okay, good. Yeah, tell me. 
Yeah, she's pretty decent looking person. Oh yeah, she talks. Do you know she hasn't worked out in probably fifteen years? She's just one of those people that just like stays perfectly fit without working out, and then she like binges on candy when she's in the middle of like a stress moment. <laughs> that is exactly right. I, I, I tell her all the time. I'm like, so how is your booty getting better with not working out? Like, what is the exercise? If she's just visualizing it in her brain, she's so powerful in her mind. She's just all she's doing is just putting it through her brain, and she's got it. It's. It's so crazy to me. I mean, I'm like, well, I need the, how many carbs in that? What is the sugar? And she's like, <laughs> Do you know, we used to sit in bed and I would just look at her and she would eat just watching because we'd sit and watch. So when we lived in LA, our, we would get make sure we were in bed by 11 o'clock so we could watch the back-to-back Friends. By the way, how psyched are you to watch that Friends reunion? Oh, my God. I mean, I'm putting, I'm trying to, like, keep it low-key because, like, I have a lot of expectations for it that it needs yeah. to, like, fulfill in my soul because, I mean, Friends is, hello, it's Friends. So I'm just, like, trying to stay chill about it, and I'm really just in praying it's everything that we all are praying it will be. I am, you know what, it already is hit met expectations for me and I'll tell you why okay I am there you know what I love so I was on a show called Chelsea lately for a long time right yeah you were and also we gotta get back to your door story I segued from you okay yeah so don't forget to go back to that okay all right but but I will I know and the thing that I learned from being on that show that I from Chelsea yeah, and that I, mean, I knew that's that a big I, deal to get on that show. That was like a big late night national syndicated show. Like she was like right after like the was David Let was it David Letterman and Jay Leno or were they already gone? It was like the late night funny show. She was on at the same time as those guys, and that's on and what and was crushing for a while there. I don't think I realized how big that show was. How'd you get on that show? And then, yeah, what'd you learn? She's the last person I dated before I met Beth. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that was and a good one. Dated's not the right word, but, what you know. That? Did you have a good time? Yeah, we did drugs and went out and, you know but, what I mean? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, we were young and she was, listen, you know what she was? A ton of fun. We went out one night, ready? So we went out one night and we, and we went to a party that my brothers were at, a house party, and we were kind of fucked up, and there was a pool table there, and she was limping. And I walked into the room. I'm like, what are you doing? She was, just, she was like, just go with it. She had told everybody there she had a wooden leg. I can't imagine two comics actually dating each other. This would be really funny. Well, we, we – so I just went with it. But it was so funny. She was like, you know, at one point she switched – limps on her legs by accident. I'm like, you're limping with the wrong leg. She was like, don't want that. <laughs> but she, I loved going out with her because especially when she was younger, she basically walked in. If she walked into a room, she was going to walk up to whatever dude felt like he was the biggest alpha and she was going to take the piss out of him like that. She wasn't going to let, she wasn't going to let that. She never let, even at, that long ago in a room in LA with dudes who thought they were the shit, she wouldn't let them. Never. She went in right away. If you were going to think you were the the alpha, she was going to let you know who was the real alpha. Wow. I, I loved it. I loved it. And she, her attitude was like, fuck these guys. They can't tell me what to do. Like, this is not, 
That's not up to them how I go about the world, what I talk like, what I act like. And I really, I really respected that in her. I really yeah. a lot. She was the first woman that I remember getting on stage and just talking freely about being an alcoholic and having sex with a ton of dudes. Yeah. And people have come along since then. But you know what? One joke I'll always remember that I was like, oh, I love this woman. She's, she, and she was as a young comic. And I think, uh, I think her last few specials are whatever. But I think, I think, you know, to be a stand-up, it takes a lot, a lot, a lot of practice. You know, and she took a little break, but I think she started out like such a unique. She said once, she said, um, I was out with this guy and I was drinking and I was on my, like, my fourth drink. And um, he said, you know, you don't have to drink to be more interesting. And she was like, I'm drinking to make you more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's okay. I mean, she had unapologetic, you know. But um, what I learned on that show is that just like friends, you know, but people, when they turn on the show, when they turn on TV, if you can show them a dysfunctional family that they relate to people where they're like, oh, I'm, you know what people love doing in friends? I'm Phoebe. Oh, I'm Chandler. Right. Yeah. You're relating. And so one of the things about Chelsea is that people turned it on to watch a dysfunctional family make fun of each other and bicker at each other, but ultimately love each other. Yeah. And I'm watching, I watched the, did you watch the trailer for the friends thing? Like I yep. did, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. 12 times. <laughs> um, I'm already getting all the feels. The song, you play the song, I'm in. But seeing them talk to each other and go, remember, remember, all I need is nostalgia. I'm not even in it for the laughs, Caroline. I, I want to, I, re, I want to feel those feels. Do you know what I mean? And I already, I already am. So it, it's already. It's already there for you. I get that. My expectations, yeah. Do you want to talk, talk about remembering a joke that Chelsea said that impacted you? When Michael and I went to watch you at Zany's a few weeks ago or a month ago or something, you said something that we quote all the time. Because Michael it? and I have been together, we've been together like over 10 years, like dating, married, all of it. Like we have been through it all, the ups and downs, and we started dating as kids, and like we broke up, got married, all the things. So you were talking about marriage and you were like talking you're like who's in, who's newly dating in the audience like who's out there that just started dating or just got married and like someone raised their hand and they were like all in love and like so in the butterfly phase and then you're like okay now who's been married for like a long ass time and you found someone who'd been married for like 42 years and you said the people in the the four the people who've been married for forty two years had a fight in the car that would ruin you <laughs> to the newlyweds. Yeah, and I'm like, that is so true. You can like be totally like going at it with your person that you've been with for years, then you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna go get a drink, <laughs> and then the over. it's over. <laughs> I say it all the time. If you've been married over twenty years, you you said something to each other that day that would end other relationships because. <laughs> Because you can just be like, fuck you, fuck you. And then, all right, that's it. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's it. Like, I hate you. I hate you too. And where are we going to dinner? Do you know that's... But if you're like brand new, you're like, that's it. It's over. <laughs> yeah. That is over. 
it's it's one of the things that is great that they don't tell you about being in a relationship for that long is that the level of comfort you have to have with that other person is something you didn't know going in would be the benefit of a long-term relationship where you're like, oh, I actually can just relax. You know what? I've never heard it like that before. I think that's one of the biggest blessings of being in a long-term relationship is you literally can just put your full self on display at all times. It's so comforting, right? Just to, you know, when you were first dating, you guys, and you spent the night, did you worry about how you looked in the morning? Oh, I, like, woke up and, like, ran to the bathroom to make sure I didn't put on some makeup really fast and, like, brush my hair and, like, tie my shirt up or something, <laughs> you know? And you might wake up with a booger on your face now, and you don't care. You're <laughs> don't like, whatever. Care. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's such a different – and, and – it's hard to explain how when you don't have to worry about that stuff, the other stuff you can kind of let into your life. You know, when I, when I look, I mean, I never, thank God, never had to be on a dating app or that stuff looks horrible. Mm-hmm. Like horrible. I know. I can't even imagine the stress of just like, did they not swipe or how's that? So nobody's picking me or I, I, I don't know about you. I don't, I was not good at meeting strangers. I was like fine with meeting strangers, but I was terrible at dating because I did not know how to date. I was like super insecure and I get defensive and I didn't know how to put myself out there. And I would just, I was an awful dater. How, what, what was your upbringing like? Were you religious? Were you conservative? Conservative Were you... upbringing, super conservative upbringing. I mean, also like open-minded parents, but like very, very, uh, I, I was very traditional and raised really sheltered in a good way. And I just like, I don't know. I just, I had a lot was of there, Was there guilt associated with any of the like dating? I, for a long time, like I just didn't know who I was as a person and I felt like super insecure about that and I felt like not I always struggled with worthiness and not feeling good enough and feeling like other people were better than me so then if someone actually got to know who I was then they wouldn't want to date me so I had to put up this hard guard even though like I was great you know I was just like a kid who didn't know who I was but when I was in it it was like very all-consuming you know that sounds very familiar to me like the um I just recently and this has been maybe the biggest change in my life ever in my life. But I just recently realized how dangerous your inner dialogue can be if you're constantly calling yourself a piece of shit. Self-talk. Your self-talk is everything. It's the voice that you listen to the most. So it doesn't matter what other people are telling me. If I'm constantly saying, but you, or I'm never forgiving myself. Oh, yeah. That was our right? hang on to stuff. I have recently done that, and I have to tell you, I'm like, if I catch myself, and everybody does, where I'm like, you're such a, for not, and then I'm like, relax, man, just pick it up tomorrow, and it's changed, it's, I'm telling you, it's changed, I, I, you know, the one thing I noticed is that my, I used to walk, my shoulders were a little, tense, my shoulders are down. You know, my, I can see it on stage too. 
I'm, you're more comfortable just being yourself. And we talked a little bit before this interview. You're like, I now know who I am. I, I know what my mission is. I know what I'm trying to do. And like, if someone misinterprets that, that's really not on you. That's on them. And that's a freeing place to get to. Yeah. What made you change this inner dialogue and get there? What was like the catalyst for that? Well, you know what? Honestly, um, moving to Nashville allowed me to relax. Okay, why is that? Well, the one thing about being in Los Angeles is that you're constantly surrounded by people who are not only more successful than you, but it's just always in your face. Mm. And so I would get up, and instead of doing what I do now, just get up, drink coffee, walk my dog, come home, hang out with Beth, and then turn my phone on at noon. I would wake up early because now I can wake up and go back to sleep. LA, I woke up, I was like, what am I missing? Right on the phone. Other people's in other people's lives. So much better than mine. Other people's lives. Oh my, why did they book that? How come I'm not at this club? I didn't get in that theater. Always about somebody else's life and not about mine. And Absolutely. so So Nashville's been a good move for you. For me, it's been a godsend. You've loved it. You don't at all regret moving here. I miss Jacob. I miss Caitlin. I miss my brothers. Um, and I miss the weather. Uh, nobody told us that the weather in Nashville was horrible. I told, I told Bethany that the weather, like from January to mid-March. You, well, December works because it's Christmas, so there's magic in the air, and there's all the good Christmas vibes. So, okay. you know, and, like, it's fine to be cold and have a little bit of miserable weather when there's, like, Christmas everywhere. But okay. then, well, or holiday for, for season, because I don't know, not everyone is. Listen, I, I want to tell you something. As a 100% Jew, Yeah. when someone says, Merry Christmas, I say, thank you. Because what they are actually saying to me is something nice. It's yeah. just a reading. They're right. not saying, I hate Jews. Right. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not saying, you're not allowed to. They're just saying, Merry Christmas. Because yeah. that, that is, in my brain, the same as Happy Holidays, the same as everything yes. else. It's somebody say, wishing something nice to me. So for me to correct them and make them feel like an asshole because they don't know I'm Jewish is the dumbest thing you correcting yourself just then is one of the things that you and i were talking about before the show you don't have to apologize for that shit right you right know, you know what your intent is right you're not saying merry christmas and fuck the jews you're saying merry christmas because it's christmas season and you know what else the majority of people celebrate christmas right yeah so if you're going to say one thing that seems to be grouping grabbing the most votes it's so silly, isn't it? I hear you on that. Yeah, totally. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. So, okay, you have a Christmas holiday season in December, so it's fine. But then January hits, you have New Year's, which is still fun. And then after that, it is, you have to get out of town. I mean, you, I mean, I have stayed here most years, but like I would much prefer to have somewhere else to go from January to mid-March or April because it's really torrential and terrible. But then it starts to get a little humid. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Which we weren't used to, like and you know, kind of the pollen and allergies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a there's a lot more going on than what we were warned about. However, I would not trade it back. You know, honestly, meeting people like you and Michael and just you know Philip and Becky Sweet and just the people that we met. And, and outside of the business in Nashville are just more my speed. What I always say I love about Nashville and the entertainment industry is, yes, you have your superstars. You have your people who are, like, crushing it. But everyone is super chill and laid back. And I'm not saying people don't have, like, personal issues and things going on. No one's perfect anywhere. But it is, like, this community of people who are down to earth. They want to hang out. It's very inclusive and it's very supportive. I mean, I, it's it's there's things that need to change, obviously, within like country music and like to expand. And I feel like everyone's starting to become more aware of that. But like, I just feel like people want to be friends. They want to help people out. They want to be a good person. They want to collaborate. Collaborate is so cool. Now, I, and by the way, I don't want to put him on the spot, but I'm trying to get your husband to write a funny song with me. I know we were talking about that. He, I think he's nervous because he's never done comedy. It makes total sense. It makes total sense because as performers, the thing I think we're all worried about the most is looking stupid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you know what your lane is and you're like, well, I don't look stupid in this lane, but that lane, I'm gonna look real dumb. 
Now, I am a person who not only doesn't mind looking dumb, I kind of like it. But it's like you look dumb on your own terms. Like you create the dumbness that you look, if that makes yeah. sense. A hundred percent. When you're looking dumb, it doesn't catch you off guard per se. You might be prepared for it. Well, I'm setting myself up to look dumb because I'm trying something I've never done before. Right. And by trying something I've never done before, for me, you know what? Okay. <laughs> okay. So as an artist, the thing that I, as I got older, I missed the most was like, I, I started doing stand-up in Seattle and I would sit at this place called the Hurricane Cafe with my friends when we were young comics and maybe we could all afford one pot of coffee but we were talking about jokes and like you know spitballing and oh yeah that was great we did that that feeling you lose the longer you go the more comfortable you get right and so to put myself in situations like this remind me of that young art where i'm like oh, this is that excitement that i don't get anymore but was such a huge part of why I loved what I did. Do you, does that make sense? Yes. The, just that adrenaline, the, the rush, the unknowingness, like you're still proving yourself on every level. You don't even know if it's going to work for you, but you know you have this passion and this dream. You just need people to receive it. You got to put yourself out there. How yeah. did you get started in comedy? Like who wakes up as a human and is like, I'm going to be a comedian? Because to me, that feels... I've said this even before I've known you, like being a comic would be like the worst job for me. I would feel so much anxiety and stress in like a forming jokes. And then how do you know when to like drop the punchline and make people laugh and like have them flow and like where to push it and where not. I mean, how, how, that to me is just like next level stress central station. Uh, <laughs> I want to tell you, I told Beth not too long ago that you would be a very good comedian. Oh, no, 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 no. I am great I'm great laughing at people, but I am not funny. That's not true. So it's here's the deal. You are two of the things that make a comic good. You're honest. You can't, you can't help but be who you are. And you tell a good story. So if you told the story, right, that was about something at the house that happened with the your kid or your husband, that's relatable. And then that somebody like me would sit there and go, okay, tell me the story. Here's a joke for this part. Here's a joke for this part. Here's a joke for this part. And now you're a stand-up comic. But how do you find the jokes? Like, that's the thing. Like, how do you make a joke out of just like a normal everyday life? Like, okay, for instance, I just got 12 chickens with Michael. How do you make that funny? Okay, well, first of all, why'd you get the chickens? We got chickens because Michael's always wanted chickens. He wants to be a farmer. He grew up on a farm, and he just wants chicks. Okay. Right away, you're like, first of all, you know, what am I not providing? Do you know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> That's already funny. You want to turn it inward, right? So you want to turn it inward. Like, should I feel offended? That, that, I'm, not enough, that I'm not enough to feed me 12 chickens? Like... <laughs> I, you know, am I not, you know, I mean, depending on how far you want to go, like, am I not producing enough eggs for this dude? Like, <laughs> See, <that's laughs> so, there's so many different possibilities. You can tell the story of going out and the first time you don't know how to get eggs from a chicken. So you think it's like, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons, where you're just lifting them up, you know, like, like Foghorn Leghorn. And there's so many things that you could do, right? But 
that's all comes through just practice. But what I do with stories is I tell them exactly how they happened the first like five or six times, just to hear which part of the truth is really interesting. Do you like practice? Do you have to like speak to your mirror? Do you speak into a mirror? Like how do you like work these bits out? In front of people. So do you just like come up with it in your head? Do you ever speak it out loud before you speak in front of the audience? No, generally not. Wow. You're just sort of winging it. Well, no, because I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from stories that happened. So I don't have to write them down. They're up here. And if I write them down, they end up sounding for me too rehearsed. But I don't need to write them down because I got it. I'll write down some punchlines. Like if I'm writing punchlines that didn't happen, I'll write those down because I have a harder time remembering those. But the very first time I hopped on stage, I was 15. Oh, yeah. How did you know that, like, oh, I'm just going to go be funny on stage? Like, I'm a comedian. Like, wh- right. how did you get that thought in your head? I was watching TV. I saw some stand-up. I thought, man, I, I had done some musical theater, um, and I loved it. I loved being in front of people and – um, I told my dad and mom, I said, I want to do stand up. And they were like, okay. I said, there's a open mic one town over. Will you drive me over there? And they were like, yeah. So I went over, I signed up. I asked the guy, I said, what should I talk about? And he said, well, have you ever done it? I said, no. And he said, talk about what you know. And all I knew was my parents, right? Yeah. So, and the funniest thing to me about them is that they both have really bad gas. <laughs> So you're just farting all the time at your house? They were, they were, there was one time and I ended, this was my closer. I ended this. <laughs> one thing I, I know about my parents is they have really bad <laughs> Yes, I was 15. Do you want to hear the first joke I ever told? I would love to actually. My parents are sitting in the front room. And this was back when they had, you know, I could hear my mom taking zit zit click, you know, one of those old zit zit click, like the, like the little Kodak cameras that they take pictures with, you know. They had to wind up and stuff. And she was like, zik, zik, zik. she was so excited. I'm walking to the stage. Oh, do you want to hear what I was wearing? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had acid wash jeans. Okay. Those are back in style now. They, I, they were tucked into my untied, very chunky white high tops. Okay. Feeling still in style, actually. I had a mullet. I Why had a back in style. A hat that looked just like this, except it was my, not camo, but same kind of style. Uh, but it was I played on my baseball team, so it was my high school baseball team hat. I had a, a thick silver chain, not like a rope, but like one you'd find on King Tut. You know what I'm talking about? Like one of those thick silver chains? And wait for it. I was wearing a white mesh shirt. I feel like kind of, Josh, that's like all back in trend. Like you sort of were like, have you ever, have you just like stayed consistent with that style all these years? Because it's like right on point pretty much. Is it, it minus the mesh shirt? I feel the like I'm really shirt, The mesh shirt's probably making a comeback soon though. I mean, <laughs> the way the fashion's going, I'm sure that's going to be in in no time. But I'm impressed. That's ballsy. So you just started off, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm here I am. Here's my nipples and everything. Yeah. Well, it was like a, like a, a smaller mesh, like a football shirt. Okay, so you couldn't see your full nipples. Right, right. Uh, well, you can see, you know, when I was growing up, my brothers used to tell me that I had meaty nipples. <laughs> That's why I was I was the kid who wore a T-shirt to the pool because my brother was always like, you going to let those meaty nipples out of the pool? I'm like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but it turns out I don't have meaty nipples. I just have uh, like a meatier areola. We didn't okay. know that. Okay, good. So I come up on stage. 
And I said, hey, everybody, I'm Josh. I'm 15 years old. And they clapped. And I said, my parents are here tonight. And they clapped. And I said, I'm pretty excited because this is the first fucking time I'll be able to fucking swear in front of my cocksucking mom. <gasps> Josh. Can I tell you? The room exploded. <sighs> and I was like, yeah, I got it. I love this. And can I tell you something else? Since that day, I'm not a dirty comic, but when I when I when my mom comes to the show, filthy. Why? Because you just want to show you want to prove that like you don't have to mind her rules. No, because you know if you know anything about me, I like making people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Nothing makes my mom more uncomfortable than me being dirty. And on top of that, Caroline, she feels like she has to laugh at every joke. So the dirtier it gets, it makes me laugh that I look at her and she's like, ha, 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 <laughs> She doesn't want to laugh. And my dad will always come up to me before the show and be like, are you going to tell him? Do you have to? I'm like, you know I do, dude. No, I, you know I do. I just, this is for me. Every show that, that she comes to is purely for me. So you love those the most because you just get the most joy out of making your mom just feel so uncomfortable. Oh. Wait, where did come into it? Where did your fart and parents come into this? Oh, so at the end of the set, I was telling the jokes about their different styles of farting. My mom was more of a... Were they so embarrassed? Yes. I told her, I was like, my mom is like a... She likes to walk and fart. You know, one of those... And my dad, you could always tell, because my dad would just... He would lift his whole body up and stare to fart like that. Even in a restaurant, you're like, try to be more subtle, bro. They don't, they're, they're fine to just let it fly at any time. Zero fucks to give. Babe. They don't want to hold their gas in. They got to let it out. We were on the Mass Turnpike in Massachusetts. What? The, uh, in Massachusetts, the major, like the, the turnpike, the highway is called the Mass, Mass Turnpike. Okay. And we were on the Mass Turnpike. And we were in, um, we had one of those station wagons with the seat that faced the back and the way back. Yeah. You know, and my mom was just farting up a storm. She was. <laughs> she farts in the whole car. She, I think maybe she had, had like in the middle of a high protein diet or something. I don't know what was going on, but she was making things uncomfortable. And my dad pulled over, and he goes, "Hey, you got to get out." <laughs> she goes, "What?" And he goes, "Like, yeah, yeah, you got to step out. You're killing the car." <laughs> and she goes, "What do you want me to do?" He goes, "I don't know. Walk it off." So she, because you know, he was like, he was like, it's stuck in your pants or something. You got to just walk it off. <laughs> so she walked, she walked it off. Of <laughs> oh my God. I love that y'all are just so like chill about farting all the time. It's like no big deal. Our house was a stink bomb. I grew up with three older brothers. At one point in time, my mom had four teenagers, boys in her house. Oh, she's a saint. She deserves it. Like, she really does deserve an award for that. There's, there, having only had one in the house, I can't imagine the smell that just permeated that house all of the time. It, ugh. And just, like, the unruliness that must have been going on at all times like did she just lose control was there any way is that why it don't, isn't don't you have something called controlled chaos yeah that's it, what he's probably started from childhood it's yeah from, probably chaos right i think <laughs> i think i did maybe learn and i had told my mom this recently 
that you just get from her. You just got to pick your battles. Yeah. I can't be yelling at these four dumb apes all day, every day. I just got to pick the important stuff. Right. So a lot of it just has to like go. You just got to let it go. It's the, it's maybe the biggest lesson I learned as far as parenting, which is especially when they get older or younger, it doesn't matter. Your, your kids do things what you consider to be wrong, right? All of the time. Do you want to spend your whole day? Do, do you want to be known as the person who's constantly just correcting and telling that person what they're doing wrong? No. Yeah. No. no. It's, it, it's not fun for either one of you. It's not the relationship you want to have. So for me, like, I, 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 and I, especially when I was raising those three kids, I had to pick and choose. I wanted How to. How are you a single dad? Uh, uh, for a few years. How did and, you manage that with being a comedian and working and like, one of them was like a baby, right? Yeah, you know, I had some help from my brother, especially from one of my brothers. All my brothers kind of helped, but I had, uh, it's funny though, you know, they ha all had the same attitude, which at the time I didn't enjoy, but now understand, which was if I had a set, like to do some stand-up, they, they would help me. If I wanted to go on a date, they were like, nah. Because their thing was, look, you, you made this bed, so we're happy to help you try to get out of it. But as far as you using us so you can go out and live it up, nah, you're going to have to hire a babysitter. Like. That's not our job. I get that. I get that. By the way, me too. Yeah. Me too. Mm -hmm. And so I had comics help. You know, one of the, uh, I met Chelsea because she used to watch my kids while I went on stage. Really? Comics helped me. Uh, my buddy Joey Diaz helped me a lot. Um, would babysit, you know, as long as I cooked him a turkey burger, he would watch the kids. Um, you did everything for those kids and worked. I mean, what did you learn about yourself in that season? Um, I think I learned what's important. I, I, you know, I was, I know that recently and recently I found this out recently. I found that some comics thought I was aloof, 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 because I would go to the comedy store and then leave. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, dude, I had a life. I, I couldn't sit around and talk to you guys about whatever the, you guys were talking about. As much as I wanted to shoot the shit, there was other things that was just more important. I knew I had to be up at six in the morning and take the kids to school. I knew I knew I had to go home and make lunches, and I knew I had to be fresh. I knew I had to get up. Two kids were going to school, and I had to be with the baby all day. Like, what were you guys doing? Dang, Josh. I mean, that's you know? really impressive, though, to be a, such a committed single dad like that. That's hard work. One kid is hard. Three is like. Man, I kudos to you. I I get I, I thank you. I, I you so my situation was you know I met a woman. I don't know if you know this. I met a woman. She had two kids. We had a kid together. And so when I kept her out, kicked her out, I kept the three kids. And um and so it wasn't never a question of you just do those are your kids. Like do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it's not even a question of what you should or should like. These are my people, so you you take care of your people, you know. And I, it really did early on, and I'm glad I never got sucked up into LA because 
what was important was always staring me in the face. Yeah. And you had you no know, time was, to get sucked up, really. And you know what's funny? And, and I'm sure you have recently seen this. For the kids, what struck me with the kids was, I've, oh, and this is not a bad thing. This is what everybody should do. I've always just thought about myself. Right. Oh, yeah. You don't realize how selfish you are until you have kids and you're like, literally, you don't ever get to think about yourself. I mean, every now and then you do, but like, yeah, vast majority of the day, for sure not. For, and, and by the way, you know, I think people use selfish like it's always a negative. I don't think it's always a negative. And I think in the business that we're in, to be successful, your business is you. So you have no choice but to be selfish. That's why I, I, I give entertainers a little bit of a pass when people are like, they seem so self-involved. They have to be. If, they're not, if they don't find themselves the most interesting, then who else will? <laughs> have to be. Have to constantly be looking at themselves in the mirror. Have to constantly go, how, how does this appear to other people? You're constantly, you're in the business of you. Right. So to, to get sucked down the selfish drain, I, I get. Plus, if you get successful, not only are you in the business of you, no, now everybody, yes. else, everybody else is too. Exactly. You know? So, but kids don't, they don't let you. As soon as you're like, yeah, what about me? Someone throws up on your foot and you're like, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, exactly. <laughs> so when did you know that you had made it? When did you know you were like a successful comedian? I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I, because I don't look at myself that way. When did you can, know that you were having a thriving career as a comedian? That this was like, you had respect, you had people that loved you, you could sell tickets to shows and do well. Like, when did you know yeah. that? I, I'll tell you this. I can, I can tell you that when I was growing up, I always had a dream to have a late night talk show called The Joshua Show. And I did. I had, it was now, we only lived six weeks and it was on CMT, but... That was the moment, you know, my dad called me and um, maybe it might, might've been the day before I premiered. And he said, um, Hey, I just want to call you and say, you know, we can't wait for tomorrow. And, and he said, do you remember the conversation about what your dream was when you were a kid? And I was like, I don't think so. And he's like, let me put it back. And he ran it back, and I go, "That's right." And he was like, "And you all, you were like, I want to have the Joshua show." And he said, "Do you realize how many people get to imagine a dream and have it come true?" Dang, that is serious, right there. And I said, "Yeah, that's." And he said, "So everything else from here is a success for this. Even the show lasts a day, six weeks, six years, sixty years. You got it. You achieved it. You visualized it, created it out of your imagination, and then you yeah. got a whole network and crew of people to get on board with it and spend time, yeah. energy, money. You made but it. Here's, here's how messed up our business is. Eventually, everything's a failure because it gets canceled, right? Right. But why is that a failure? You know what my dad said? This is so many things that my dad has said to me recently that have really helped. Our business especially. So you were in a band. What was the name of your band called? Stealing Angels. Stealing Angels. Did Stealing Angels make an album? We did, but it was never released. And But you you got together with a group of people and made an album. 
Right. That is like you created something. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. instead of in our business, unless you're Kevin Hart or Luke Bryan, you're, you're, I love it when people call Judge Reinhold. You know who he is? An old actor. He was like in Beverly Hills Cop, a has-been. Yeah. His career in for Hollywood was 15 years of every movie. you. And now he's that's the way it goes. He's not a has-been, dude. He is in the 1% of people who have ever done that job. Exactly. And done it well and had success. You know what? It is so true. It, like, just because your streak per se is over and has like faded. Like I think every artist, musician, entertainer for the most part, and then you have your enigmas like Reba who have like lasted for decades and like people who have, you know, transcended through all the, all the years. But I think everyone has like a moment, you know, where you have like, this is your moment where you are like on top where you are having all the success. It's like your season. And then it's going to obviously it's going to go to someone else, you know, and that's just the way it is. It makes me laugh when people use Pauly Shore as a punchline. Yo, this dude's career, in the, when, when he was the weasel, he was just about the biggest thing in entertainment on planet Earth. He was in movies that made a gazillion dollars. That, now it's time for somebody else's. So for somebody to use him as a punchline, I'm like, yo, he did things that you could count on your hands and feet that people have done. Yes. Now he's a has-been. I know. You know what I mean? it, it's very specific. Nobody's like, yeah, that dude, the accountant, yeah, he was better in the 90s. You're like, no. Yeah, they still are an accountant. They're still doing their thing. Exactly. It's, I, I, it's a crazy thing that happens to artists. It's almost like they, people are waiting for them to drop a little bit so they can punch it. Well, and I feel like that's why so many artists have massive breakdowns, especially when they've been like on top and like everyone's loving them and praising them. And all of a sudden, for instance, like say Paul Shore, I have no idea what his mental health is like or his life or whatever. But then all of a sudden he's not on top and people are dogging on him. It's like that can send people into insanity in their minds. You know, it's like everyone dogged on Britney Spears when she crashed and burned. But like, can you even, no one can even imagine what she no. If you take it on one step, a couple of rungs down in the entertainment, take any band that had one big hit, two big hits, right? These, by the way, that's not easy to sustain. Now you have all this attention. You're on the road, this is this great tour. And then now, now again, the fact that you had a hit that made a gazillion dollars and it still puts you in the 1% of people who have ever picked up a guitar exactly but somehow the business that makes you feel like you're a failure even though you've done something that millions of people have woken up and dreamed of doing mm -hmm. of having a hit would hang their mothers in the backyard to have <laughs> one hit do you know what i mean yeah. one hit and now all of a sudden these people are no man that it's such a it that shift in perspective, I, I think, is something that has happened to me. But that shift in perspective, like, of how you look at yourself is, is I think, so important, you know? Like, it's circling way back. Is that what really has brought you that inner peace and that voice to calm that voice that's negative and make it instead positive? 
Is that really the awakening that you've had? Yeah. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me in Nashville that changed my life maybe <laughs> four months ago. When, this, when the snowstorms are happening, five months ago. And I'm going to try not to cry. And so this did, this was the final cherry on top of the changing Sunday. I was, remember when we were having the huge snowstorms? Oh, yeah. Remember when you guys were lying to us about the weather? <laughs> yeah. Um, I was walking down Kirkwood in between 12 South and 8th. I was walking my dog. And there was a woman walking. Um, I was walking back. She was walking up. And we both had our masks on because that's what we were doing at the time. And, and I say hello to everybody, by the way. If I'm walking down the street and it's me and you, we're saying hello. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, and if you don't acknowledge it, I'm going to say something to you about not acknowledging. But <laughs> if I open the door for you and you don't say thank you, you, I'm going to probably follow you into the building and be like, did you not? I'm sorry, I just opened the door for you. If you didn't see me, that was me. You know. So I walk by her, and I just dropped my mask. And um, I go, hey, how are you doing? Hope you're having a great day. And she dropped her mask. And she, I recognized her. She was this woman who I had uh, seen panhandling up at Kroger a bunch. You, you know that Kroger? Panhandling? Yeah, uh, a begging. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and um, and I said, how you doing? She said, good. And she was carrying like a little plastic bag that had some to-go food containers. I go, how you doing? She goes, pretty good. And we just started talking. And I go, uh, how's it going? She goes, pretty good. She said, I got to run up the street. There was a woman who had seen her also out at Kroger. And as I had, was like, look, I'm, I can't give you any money, but it's supposed to snow for four days. Do you want to come stay in my back house for four days so you can get out of this snow? Stranger, telling a stranger, right? And I was like, I was like, wow, that's amazing. And I was impressed with this woman. And this homeless woman says to me, she goes, yeah, I want to get home. I bought us each a taco. If there's a taco truck right at the corner. She said, uh, I bought, I saved up the money th from today to buy us each. It was a taco plate, a taco plate. And I want to go home and share it with her. And um, it just struck me that somebody who had nothing gave everything. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't get over how, here's a couple things I couldn't get over. One, how genuinely happy she was to be able to do this for somebody else. And I thought, honestly, in that moment, why does she know more about happiness than I do? I have, on paper, I have so much more than she does. But I can't remember the last time I was that happy with myself. Wow, Josh, that's and, serious. That's profound. And, and how proud, proud she was of herself was like, what am I missing in this life? What am I prioritizing that I apparently I've prioritized them so much that they're not attainable, that I'm just constantly reaching for this thing that's just out of my grasp. Hers was right here. She grabbed it and was so happy to do this for this woman that I... It, that moment it, changed you. Profoundly. I went home. I probably cried for about a half an hour straight. It really, I, it impacted, I mean, it impacts me too, but like that was a moment that like it changed the course of your thought about life. 
without a doubt, without a doubt. It, 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 it made me want to be, to find happiness in the simplicity. It doesn't like, look, you, we get one ride on this ride. What am I chasing? The what happiness. Chasing, I get you on that. And especially, it's so easy. There's always something else to get. And as soon as you get what you think you wanted, there's something else and someone else has this. And it's like, but like, what, what are we actually going for? Happiness, look what you've got in front of you. You've got that beautiful baby and you've got that tall, strapping, handsome husband. And happiness is in front of you every day. It is. But for whatever reason, we're always looking out our front door for happiness. And so, look, obviously you can't, it, there has to be the blend. There has to be the balance. And part of the balance has to be that happiness is in front of you. And to find that and to embrace it and to not prioritize or to put your, what you consider to be your financial happiness or your business above what really is important, which is those people when you're 80 who are going to be sitting next to you, smiling with you, laughing with you, remembering stories about your beautiful life. Do you know? And so that. I don't know that I would have found that because I'm not sure I would ever allowed myself to get off the wheel in LA. I get that. And so it, it's been such a, and John, you're thriving here, which brings me to, I mean, I want to keep talking to you, but I'm going to start to wrap it up, but I want, it brings me to you thriving, which is you are doing all these shows at Zany's. They are packed. You are doing like, okay, so tell me about the one that's coming up, like this big one, because like, well, I feel like you're like on top of your game here and like in your life, emotionally, spiritually, just hearing you in this interview. And then like your career to me is like reflecting your internal state because your career is like crushing and thriving and like you're just doing so well here. I, I thank you for saying that. I feel so good. And that's a key thing to feel good. As an artist, you know that to be true. That you, you are, when my shoulders were up like this, there was no flow. Yes. And so things, nothing was coming out of me. And the things that were coming out of me felt a little forced and and one thing that I really, one thing that I really didn't do much in LA, just because I was more worried about what other comics were gonna say. Yeah. Was my guitar, doing the guitar comedy, and I love it. You know, I, there's silly parodies. I write some originals. I do some character stuff, but it's just silly fun. And we, and so on June 20th, I'm recording my very first comedy and music album. And I want to have yes, crazy. You are on June yeah. 21st, June 20th at Zane's. So it's live. It's going to be a live recording. So you are doing a show and you're recording the whole show. So it's a big deal, Josh. The other thing that I like to do, I think we talked, I like to push myself into things that make me nervous that I've never done. So a live show means I don't get to stop down and do it over if I mess it up, which on a special is a little risky but it's kind of how i like to do it it's kind of how i like to do it i feel that i really feel like especially with art that the perfection is in the imperfection with, with i could not agree more especially live i want to know i'm at a live show i want to know that shit happens life is happening and and we're still all here together and we can move on you know what i mean like and so 
this show will have crazy surprise guests. Is there anything um, you can tell us that will be there? Well, as always, my partner in crime on stage is Philip Sweet from Little Big Town. I mean, y'all really have a thing. He's, you know what? He really is like, and he and I are so similar in so many ways. We really love to just go, what's going to happen? I don't know. Let's go see. Let's go have some fun. And that's it. And, and we and, and, a fun vibe to work with. And he's so talented. So when you're both talented and you're both willing to like let it roll, you have all the creativity is just flowing. And neither one of us care about, and I'm not going to use the word fail, but neither one of us care about bumps in the road on stage because that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. And you know what? I think as an audience member, it's kind of fun to see that every now and then. We're like, well, that it could is. work. You know? Well, and it's fun to see people recover from it, too, because you're like, everyone has bumps in the road in their life. And, like, when you see someone who's putting themselves out there on stage, and then they can, like, recover and make it funny and, like, move along, it just kind of gives you, like, the confidence in yourself that it's okay to mess up. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 I, by the way, as an artist, for me, you can't get better unless you fail. You have to realize what doesn't work. You have to try things. And if you don't try new things, a lot of times you never find the gem. So true. You never find the gem. And if so, you don't try new things and push yourself into that uncomfortable place too, because it just stretches you to that spot where you're like, yeah, yeah, there it is. There's the gem. Do you remember, I imagine for you, because you're a very open, honest person, but do you remember the first time you kind of dipped your toe into that water in public and how nerve wracking that was? Well, that would probably be for me when I started like singing live in front of people, like even like in like high school and in junior high and started performing and I really wasn't that great at the time. I got a lot better. Yeah. You just start putting yourself out there to be judged on your, what you think is your talent, you know? So by the way, why aren't you and I singing a song on stage? <laughs> I'm I mean, sort of retired from singing, but I mean, I still can sing. I just haven't really sung live in a long time. I mean, but what we're doing together, and you've heard me sing, so you're going to sound great next to me. <laughs> I think you're And we'll write a funny song. We could write a funny song about marriage. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm not shutting down the idea. Okay. How okay. about that? I, I so keep, I'll keep it open. Keep it open. <laughs> June 20th, guys. It's live. It is going to be, it's going to be a bang. And then it's can everyone be, buy this CD afterwards? Uh, yeah, I will post the um, video on my YouTube page and then um, I will release it on iTunes. And, okay. and if you, if okay. you want to, support, yeah, I do like, and my stand up, which I do like storytelling. And so it's becoming a mixture of storytelling and music. What is your YouTube page and your website? Where does everyone find you? Website is comedianjoshwolf.com. Social media is all Josh Wolf Comedy. And uh, I think it's Josh Wolf Comedy on uh, YouTube too. And I, I think I got over a million people over there and the videos are a ton of them. That's a big deal to have a million people following you. Do you think mm -hmm. of it like a million people or do you just think of it as like you're just talking? I, I am so humbled this is true every time i step on stage and i mention this a lot on stage especially on the road it's a very humbling job for me because when i see people in the audience even if there's only 
say there were only 10 people there. I still know who's on my list of people that I would leave my house to go see. So to be on anyone else's list is like so humbling. It's hard for me to put it into words. That's a you great know? perspective to always view it like that, that someone is willing to go to the effort to leave their house, to spend the money, to buy the ticket, to arrange whatever they need to arrange to be there to see you because it's worth their time. It's, it makes them feel better. I always think that, like, what is it as an entertainer that you are offering to someone? What are you giving to them to bring them something that they need in their life? And that's where I feel like entertainment is so precious is because everyone has hard lives and struggles and things they have to deal with. So entertainment is that moment to laugh, to feel something, to reset your soul, to get out of your grind. It's needed. It's like important for your spiritual being to like drop that guard that you carry all day and that monkey on your back and like have a good time, you know, like people need that. I think the biggest thing for me that and when I talk to a lot of people over this past year when I ask them I'm like what's the couple of tell me the big things the takeaways and there were three big takeaways that were consistent one I, I it made me refocus on what was important in my life I hear that over and over again about and whatever it is that was important it made you go oh, what, what have I been doing right the other thing that um, being inside for a year made people remember, I got to remember to have fun. Like, I think people go through their lives and forget to have fun. Anytime anybody tells me I didn't have time, well, I don't have time. I don't. So you break down your entire day. And I don't know about you, but I fuck about for more, way more than a half an hour a day. You can't find 15 minutes for yourself every day. That's a lie. At the minimum, 15 minutes. What do you like? What is it you like? And make sure for at least 15 minutes a day, you're finding that piece. And I think over this past year, a lot of people have been like, yeah, I just need to remember what I like to do and to, to do that, you know? And entertainment, man, you people forgot to have fun. People have been living their whole lives with no fun. Yeah. It's, str it's stressful and like all the good stuff comes when you let yourself have fun because then you can relax and then you can let your soul come out and then you can remember why maybe you're here a little bit. Yeah. Not just to work and die. There's so much more. What You get one ride on this ride. One, you get one ride. How do you want to live it? You want to live it um, yelling at people online who probably aren't even the people you think they are? Or do you want to go outside? Like live like, your own life and enjoy your own life. You know, I really believe this to be true. And, and um, I think if you, you could probably take this the wrong way. But the way I mean it is this. I think if you really want to make a difference, and if everybody was like, I want to make a difference, cool. Then everybody should take care of the people who live in their community, right? Be good to the people who live in your community. So if it's a okay, giant, so I, always wrap, I always wrap with leave your light. So what do you want people to know? So I feel like this is it. How do you, let's wrap this up with this because this is a good ending moment. I love this. Take care of the people who live in your community, right? This doesn't mean you don't care about other ethnicities or other marginalized groups or, but so say we live in a, if the Venn diagram is 
you're taking care of people in your community. Well, you and I both belong to different communities, right? So some overlap. Mm -hmm. But if everybody is good to the people in their community, it overlaps to the point where we're all just good to each other. Do you know what I'm saying? I totally know what you're saying. I should, look, I'm gonna use this as an example and I'm not gonna get into whatever side, side somebody might think I am. But I've seen Portland being thrown in the news for the last year. Portland, 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 as a rallying, rallying cry. Why do the people who don't live in Portland give a shit? Take care of what's happening in Alabama. Or do you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 you're worrying about shit that don't affect your life and the only way it affects your life is it adds stress and anger because you're letting people push fear on Look around you. Take care of the people in your community. Does that people need, that person needs a lift? Does this food bank need help? Can I help, you know, does, do we need a volunteer at the school? Whatever it is. Everybody does that. What's the problem? I agree with you. I totally agree with you. If we all took care of everyone around us, if we all did that, then what a wonderful world it would be it's 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 not as hard as it seems and and um because one person can't do everything and i think that's like the stress that i feel especially with like all the news and all the social media and all the access to seeing everything going on at all, all times i'm a super empathetic feeling person and i feel like a lot of people are too and it just feels like it's just too much like i don't even know how to like get it get going to help all these giant problems like i feel like i can all and i've kind of come to the same realization with you because i'm like what am I doing to like help the world? And I was like, you know what? I am, what is, what I can contribute is my podcast. I can bring guests on that share stories that can help others and that can spread. And that's where I feel like I have a, a gift. And then I can help where I live in my community, exactly what you're saying and what comes into my life that I can be a difference. I can do that. But besides that, you can't stretch yourself out across the whole world. It's not possible. It's really very difficult. And by the way, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be trying to supply clean drinking water to places in Africa. And I, and I understand that what I'm saying can be broken down into you fucking blah, blah. But I think the, the thing I will add to that is I think you can do things worldwide, but you need to let yourself be called to it. Like you just, you don't have to do everything in the world because you feel like you have to. I think you should go where you feel a calling to help because then you really will impact. I agree. And I also am a firm, and this is just again me, but I feel like I'm just speaking my truth as well. Like yeah. this is just I, me. I feel like I'm more useful talking to people individually or in groups in person. I don't do a whole lot of spousing about stuff online because it becomes white noise. And I really do want to be useful, but I want to be useful in the way that I think that I, I can be like, I know me and I think the changes that I make are best face to face with people. And if that's one at a time, five people at a time or whatever it is, but I think Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you just end up shouting into an echo chamber. And I don't know that anybody's minds or lives are changed, you know? And so I, I choose not to do that. And I choose to make my difference in the world in real time. Mm -hmm. But there may be someone who feels like they connect on, you know, YouTube or Instagram or whatever. So it's really goes back to you have to do what feels right for you where you can make the difference and really like feel like you're impacting in your own life. Mm -hmm. And then we're just going to die. So that's it. Yeah, that's it. And then you just have, you high five someone on the way out. 
You're up. Good luck. I'm out. Put <laughs> <laughs> uh, it over from here. <laughs> it's going to be a long, bumpy journey. You're going to have a lot of great times. It's also going to be really emotionally stressful and probably some trauma is going to happen. But overall, I hope you get to the point where you see the point of it all. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy yourself. Have, don't forget to have a good time. I love that. Okay, Josh Wolf, you're amazing. I could literally talk to you for hours. You're such an awesome guy. I'm so happy to have, have you as a friend. I love your comedy. And everyone who's in Nashville, y'all need to go June 20th. Get your tickets for Zanies because I'm sure it will be packed. And then if you can't make it, make sure you follow along on Josh's handles and figure out how to get this live CD that's going to be awesome. You're coming to the show, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to call. I'm going to like really plan for it and get a babysitter and stuff. Okay. I, I, it's hard for me to fly by the seat of my pants now, you know, but I, uh, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah, it's so, it's the opposite for me now. I'm like, what are we doing? I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. Isn't that great that you, like, you, you know what it's like to be strapped down in the best way by kids, where it's like you have to only do what you can do, and then that's it, nothing extra. And then when the kids are all grown and, like, on their own, it's like, you got, I mean, you can just run wild. I got a hot wife. We got some free time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah yeah now i will tell you we're at an age now where if someone was like i want to have sex all night long i'd be like that sounds terrible that sounds <laughs> i'm good for one time in an episode of friends how about that can we, can we compromise you know what i mean like, let, me, let me tell you something right now at my point in life if someone was like, I want to have a threesome, I'd be like, cool. My threesome, my, my ideal threesome is Beth, Beth and I are having sex and you're cleaning up the house. Is that cool? <laughs> you know, I mean, really, fantasies do change the longer, the older you get, the longer you get there. They do evolve, don't they? <laughs> they definitely do. They definitely do. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining thank me. You. You're awesome. This is so fun. And everyone check them out just online. At Josh, all things. I don't know your handles, but what are they? Just spout them out one more time. Megan is the website and Josh Wolf Comedy on all socials. Okay, great. Okay, Josh, you're the best. Bye. Bye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. 
Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.